You're listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association's Washington, D.C. office. Welcome to this week's edition of Beltway Beef Tax Talks, NCBA's podcast within a podcast on all things tax policy. This is Danielle Beck, NCBA Senior Executive Director of Government Affairs. Lately, we've talked a lot about how changes in longstanding provisions in the tax code will be detrimental to family-owned businesses, including farms and ranches. This week, we are joined by three of our members who know this to be true firsthand. I'm happy to introduce you today to Janet Crow from Missouri, June Kester from California, and Margaret Ann Smith from Virginia. Janet, June, and Margaret Ann, welcome to the podcast. We are so thankful to have you on because each of you are incredible examples of strong female leadership within the industry, and you have some really unique perspective to share. I'd love for you to tell the audience a little bit about yourselves and your family's operations. June, do you want to go first? Sure. So my name is June Silva Kester. I'm a sixth generation California ranching woman. I'm married to a fifth generation cattle ranching farmer. I am the mother of three children. They are our sixth generation, a son and two daughters. I'm also an extremely proud grandmother of almost five. We have four on the ground, so to speak. Our family ranch and operation has been ranching in this area since 1867. We have a commercial cow-calf and stalker operation, along with, with wine grapes that we grow and and orchards and gardens, and we enjoy living off the, the land here. So proud to be a part of this ranching community and lifestyle. Thanks, June. Janet, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, I am Janet Kazar Crow. Uh, my husband and I are cow-calf producers in South Central Missouri. Uh, we have about 200 head that we run, so we're, we're not big by any means, but I, I absolutely love what we do. Uh, I can usually sum up, uh, you know, they say have your elevator speech ready. I can usually sum up my whole life in three words, and mine would be cows, kids, and cars. The cows I grew up with uh, at my parents and kids. We have two sons and they're both grown. They're in their thirties and they're married. And we have three lovely grandkids and and two daughter-in-laws. And the cars, our other line of work for 30 plus years was uh, we had an automobile dealership and then we had the cattle too and had the boys and uh, it was quite the busy life. So we've since sold the car dealership and I'm, I'm blessed to be able to just go to the farm with the cows. And that's the thing I love to do. So I jokingly say that with crow land and cattle, Blake is the land and I am the cattle, as I put it. So he, he takes care of all the hard stuff and I get to love on the cows, which I like. Margaret Ann, tell us about yourself. Well, thank you for having me, Danielle. Um, what a great opportunity. Um, so I am a member of the sixth generation of my family's operation here in Virginia in the Shenandoah Valley. We are a cow-calf feeder cattle soccer operation along with a grain and hay operation as well. Um, the folks in our family operation age range in ages from 93 to 3. So we have uh, quite a few different generations. So I guess technically four generations are here on the farm in any given day. Um, it, it is a, definitely a dynamic to have that many different uh, age uh, generations and uh, eight decades included in our operation. Um, we also, a big component of what we do is also broker and ship cattle throughout the United States. You know, we're really happy to have you join us today. You know, even though 
you are all cattle producers. The individual stories you have to tell are vastly different. However, I think it's fair to say that the common thread here is that you face challenges in uh, every day in your operations and the decisions made by lawmakers in D.C., if uninformed, could be really detrimental to your families and the legacy that has been built on each of your operations. And this especially holds true in the tax space. The focus of today's podcast is stepped up basis. As a refresher for our listeners, a capital gain is a measure of an asset's appreciation in value over a certain period of time. This essentially means that a capital gain is the difference between the amount received when an asset is sold and the asset's original basis or its purchase price, plus a number of adjustments like depreciation and the value of improvements. Typically, capital gains taxes are owed when an asset is sold, but a longstanding provision of U.S. tax law, which has been in place since the Revenue Act of 1921, is that a capital gains tax is not imposed when assets are transferred at death to an heir because the law allows you to increase or step up the basis value of inherited assets to fair market value, thus without paying capital gains. And this is referred to as a step up of basis. Assets in agriculture are typically held by one owner for several decades and resetting the basis in the value of land, equipment, and livestock on the date of the owner's death under a step up in basis is important for surviving family members. Discontinuing this benefit has the potential to create a massive tax liability for heirs when they ultimately upgrade or transfer these assets. Um, it, you know, Margaret Ann, Farm and ranch families invest a lot of time and energy to plan for the future. Um, has your family engaged in much transition planning or have you given much thought about how uh, our appeal of stepped up basis might impact uh, you know, future generations and you and your operation as you run it today? Yes, we have. Um, I always feel that every time we have a family function of on-farm and off-farm siblings, uh, we always come back to the subject of what are we going to do in the future? Where are we going? What does the transition look like uh, for the on-farm and off-farm heirs? Um, it, it is a definitely a burdensome, laborsome process uh, of a lot of uh, a lot of heartfelt and a, a lot of uh, sweat put into efforts of trying to figure out what is the plan and then I'll take the pieces of trying to plan within our current structure and then looking for what the farm grows and changes to until those changes take place. Um, and then also working within our structure of, of our tax laws, current laws, and then also kind of, you know, using the uh, magic eight ball to see what's going to be on the front, what will be on the playing field, you know, in the future. Um, take my grandparents. Um, I always grew up, my, my grandmother is still alive um, and still has, is still very active, has her own cow herd and um, is taken care of by her family members for her. But uh, she still drives her income from the cattle. And uh, at 93, still is fretting with uh, trust, irrevocable trust, revocable trust, insurance, and everything to do with the planning process. And I grew up hearing those terms. And it's something that is, when you're a child, you hear those words, you don't quite understand why that's all being done. But now, as you obviously into my, I'm home farming with alongside my family, you understand the reason they started these processes 25, 30 years ago, but then it's not done. It's you keep continuing on of having to make these changes because every time a generation changes hands, or every time an asset's going to change hands here, we have to go through the same planning process. Um, it, so, yes, there's been lots and lots of efforts put into it by our family. Um, but there's also a lot of uh, what ifs, even even today, of how or, or what ifs and how tos. 
what what does the best structure look like? Uh, how do you what is the best uh, mechanism or facility to make those things happen? Right, um, and a really really solid set of guidelines from uh, IRS and and from from Congress really help us make those plans, uh, and they are so so needed. A lot of times we at NCBA have to work to help members of Congress understand that cattle producers aren't in this business because they're getting rich. They do what they do each and every day because farming and ranching is truly a way of life and cattle and land stewardship is a you know a legacy they're understandably proud of. And with that perspective, I think it really brings to light just how detrimental eliminating provisions like stepped up basis will be to family owned agricultural businesses. Janitor June, what are your thoughts? The loss of stepped-up cost basis to the small business owners, the farmers, and the ranchers, it will be detrimental to everyone, from every business owner to every consumer. And, And this is a matter of our world food supply, and this is a matter of national security. Um... You know, they can't put this and and put this on the backs of the the cattle producer. We're only out here trying to produce a great protein for the people at a good price. And uh, to take away our our land and our our means of doing so would just absolutely drive everyone out of business. You know, if they want to talk about food insecurity, this will ruin the world food supply and, and you will have hunger like they've never seen before. Repeal of the step-up basis would be absolutely devastating on our family ranching succession. Um, the current basis on a ranch is zero. Over the decades from the original very low basis to reducing the basis from bringing on easements and, and, and placing them on the ranch, we have no basis or a zero basis at this time. Cattle ranchers generally do not have a robust cash flow we're land rich and, and dirt poor. Any transfer of the ranch um, would generate a tax, and the financial impact would be very devastating for the next generation. And, and if you have an inheritance tax or death tax, as is commonly called, on top of a stepped-up basis tax, it would make the probability of keeping this beautiful ranch of ours in the family very, very small. Thank you for that. And one of the things we really have been trying to do is educate folks on Capitol Hill and in the administration about the fact that farms and ranches have really complex ownership structures. Um, There isn't always one singular dedicated heir. you know, there are producers out there who don't have kids to be able to take over the operation, but those producers would still tell you that, you know, keeping their land in production agriculture is the top priority for them, regardless of who takes over the business after they're gone. They want to see that land continue to be conserved. You know, and under many parts of the tax code, family also does not include nephews, nieces, cousins. So if an uncle leaves the land to his two nephews because he has no kids, capital gains tax might apply. Or if the family goes to three kids or the family farm goes to three kids, but only one kid is actively engaged in farming, uh, the other two might have to pay a capital gains tax. Can you speculate a little bit about uh, how that might impact your current business structure? Uh, so I do farm alongside uh, with family and there are multiple assets uh, owned by different people, some owned by uh the older generation, some owned by the kind of the, I guess I'm going to say the fifth generation, some owned by the sixth generation, which is me. So we have all sorts of different ownership of different components of the farm, different components of assets. Um, and they all work together to keep the greater operation together. And we do have on and off farm uh, folks. Uh, we have some that are on farm uh, 100% full time. Uh, we have some that are on farm part time um, and off farm 
part-time. So we have lots of lots of things in the future of what that's going to look like. And some of it's still unknown. My grandmother at 93 is extremely active and uh, called to let me know about a cow having trouble the other day. Um, so she's still involved. Um, so hopefully we don't know, but trying to navigate just in preparing your own self or what those implications are is challenging on so many fronts. We, along with all the other producers out there, most of us have set in place, you know, a financial plan, a succession plan. And we've spent thousands and thousands of dollars to do this legally, you know, to to get in place trust and get in place uh, the written succession plan on his, here's how the trust lines out. Here's what happens with this piece of ground, you know, or, you know, this kid gets this one and the other kid gets this one or they joint own it. You know, we've went through all this planning. Like I said, we spent thousands of dollars to do this. And even on my parents side of it, they've done this. And then, and Blake and my side of this, we've done this also. But, you know, if we lose a, this stepped up cost basis, it will just lead to half the places being sold off. And, and in respect to my parents, I have two siblings also. So we will be, I'm like the only one in the group that's the farmer though. And, um, but the three of us will be sharing it. So I know who will be running it. So I guess we will, you know, share, share all that alike. And um, it's going to be hard because if we lose the stepped up cost basis, we will be selling all off, you know, I'd say roughly 40% of the land that will leave production. And there's no telling what will happen in that line of it. So when you take this kind of production and kind of land mass out of the food supply, you know, it's such a snowball effect. So it, it goes back to all this planning with your family. We, we've got to find a way or we have to really get with Congress and say, you, you cannot do this to us. As far as succession planning, I, it, I feel like it is so up in the air right now that it's, it's just driving me crazy. That's about all I can say about it. Yeah, well said, Janet. How we're working, we're in the process of the family succession and, and passing it down, which we want to make sure it's very smooth because it, it was extremely hard um, on my husband and I. It's terrible with the death tax when you've got to pay the monthly interest to the IRS and you haven't fed your cattle or your kids yet. So that's kind of how, you know, we... We have family meetings and, and we're just in the process of keeping it all going and, and trying to get it set up just the way we need. But unfortunately, you know, it, it costs thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to get this all set up. And then something like this comes along where they were trying to throw a, a huge monkey wrench into it. And I, I know you guys struggled for what, close to a decade to pay the, the death tax, um, when Kevin's was it his grandfather passed, um, yes. I, you know, it, it did a it did a generation skip and okay. and yeah, it, it just almost completely took our feet, you know, right out from underneath us. Fortunately, Kevin was able to work out some of the first easements, definitely in our area, and that that's ended ended up saving us um, and, and being able to make it so we could continue on. I so appreciate the sacrifices that families have made um, just to you know, do your jobs each and every day to feed uh, and provide fiber and fuel for folks, not just here in the United States, but around the world. You know, we've had a, a tremendously difficult past couple of years, to put it lightly, um, between a, a black swan event in 2019, where we lost, you know, 6% of processing capacity overnight, and that sent the cattle market sort of into a tailspin. And while the, the futures price, you know, plummeted and then quickly escalated back up, the cash prices remained really low. And, um, you know, just as we were starting to look at recovery, 
We then had a, a global pandemic and sprinkled in between all of the you know, volatility in the markets from the pandemic was um, we've seen a lot of severe weather events between drought and wildfires uh, and other severe storms. If it were to become law tomorrow that stepped up basis is repealed, except for, you know, a niche subset of, you know, family owned farms and ranches in which there's one direct decedent who can take over the whole operation. And, you know, that plan is in place. I mean, it, it would almost invalidate the investments that you've made previously. But I mean, is that something that you think your future generations could even afford to, to deal with the planning? for it. I mean, that would, it seems like it would take a tremendous amount of resources to be able to respond to something like that. One of the things that Blake and I did, and it may be the wisest thing that we were ever talked into in our life was we were talked into getting a life insurance policy that's a second to die policy on us. And we was like, oh, wow, this will leave the kids a good, you know, a good nest egg when we're dead. They can go build and do whatever they want with it. Well, now they might have to use this to pay all these taxes. And that might be the only thing that saves this family farm right here is if they have enough money left from that actual life insurance policy to pay these taxes. The expense of the, if this happened, you know, basically our, our ranch and our legacy would be gone. And um, I mean, we need certainty in the tax code. You think it's a joke that, you know, we have all this, this property, we, we have to pay all the taxes, we have to pay all the bills, and we are constantly having other things thrown at us that that can just put us under. We're talking about running a, a business and a, a family business in which you're, you know, really tied to and invested in carrying on that legacy. I mean, I think it's fair and reasonable to expect um, a, a degree of certainty in the tax code. I mean, having to invest in a plan and then have the rug pulled out from underneath you and to change that all over again and dedicate more resources. I mean, that takes available uh, funding, I guess, or financing away from, um, you know, improvements you could be making in your operation or, you know, bonuses for an employee or keeping an employee on depending upon the cost. Absolutely. I mean, you you hit it perfectly there. That is that is one thing that I've heard so many times about my entire life, my family, is that the money and time spent with lawyers and insurance and, and on trust and the insurance trust that are there in mechanisms, those are things that could have been done for, you know, capital improvements that would have allowed the farm to grow in a different way. Um, to, to enhance the operations, to bring more employees on, um, or even more family members to come back to the operation. Uh, those monies, uh, not that they're not that they're ill spent. I'm just not sure that was always the highest and best use of those uh, monies. They were a necessity. And then I take my grandmother at 93 or my dad at 72. You're talking that they're at their age at their point in their lives. If the tax code changes now what implications does that have? You know, you start taking major, major changes for things that are already in place and things that have been set in place for 25 to 30 years. To undo that is uh, a great burden. And then I also question where we find legal expertise so quickly to give families guidance um, to so we can make sure these family farm operations stay in the generations to come. Uh, my nephew is three. Uh, he loves the cattle, and I hope that he's still here with his farm, you know, many, many years in the future. Um, so I, I think it's really, really imperative that we have a very, very clear long-term set of guidelines to give us direction. 
It seems like, you know, the biggest thing that our producers need are tools in the toolbox to survive generational transfer. According to research, only about 3% of all family businesses survive uh, into the fourth generation or beyond. Uh, You know, generational transitions are one of the most difficult things to survive, I think, in family ownership structures, because not only is the business structure highly complex, but family dynamics are often really complex. We've got less than 2% of our our nation's population involved in agricultural production to feed, you know, people here in the United States and around the world. And cattle producers are really proud of what it is they do each and every day as they should be. Um, You know, if there is one message that you could relay to folks on Capitol Hill uh, and those in the administration, what what would that message be? I would invite our president, Congress, to come to the Bear Valley Ranch. Watch what we do. Look at this beautiful ranch that we have that God gave to our family to take care of. And we have. We're the stewards of the land. We're the stewards of all these cattle. And yes, we feed not only the United States, but we feed the world. And they're trying to take this away. Seven generations. You don't hear about that every day. That's what we have here. And it's not seven generations of being rich. The rich part that we have is the lifestyle that we have, knowing that we feed not only the United States, but we feed the world. We are really going to have to start stepping it up and get people to go to Congress and, and, and run for Senate that will be able to tell our story and make them understand. And, and I'm like June, I would invite any of them to come see what we do on a daily basis, how many hours we put in, how hard it really is. And you, you don't get better people than farmers and ranchers. And, and all we want to do is just to feed the world. So I, I hope they cut us some slack here and just realize what they're trying to do will totally run each and every one of us. I think simply put, the pride and the history in these family operations runs so deep. And it's something, it sounds so cliche to say that's bred into us and, it, and it's, it's, it's how we're raised. Uh, when we're there at my, my family's home place, really comments we made, well, this was where, you know, great granddad did this or and a great uncle did this or a great great did this. Um, and you take these families that, you know, we, we don't typically move uh, far away from those home bases, especially on, on farming operations. The they farms expand, but the home base stays there. And it, it's neat to see a community that's any community that are so rooted uh, that go back generations and, and to have that. Um, and, and I think that is something that is just still in the fabric of, of, of America, that we have that strength in rural America of, of land ownership and passing it down and the, the tie to the land and the tie to these farms and these branches being able to pay, pass on is key. There's a, there's a lot to it and, and it's definitely not one size fits all. And uh, we don't need a policy that, that thinks it's one size fits all because it certainly isn't. There's so many uncontrollables and for Congress and this proposal to to lose our stepped up cost basis. I mean, it's just almost like another nail in the coffin sometimes. So it is not a Republican or Democrat issue. It's an issue of feeding our people. This has been another episode of Beltway Beef. Don't forget to check us out online at policy.ncba.org or catch the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from, including SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts.